Are you looking for new books to read? Do you like finding a new special author? Are you tired of the same old books from the same old authors? Well then, welcome to Discovered Wordsmiths, a podcast where you can hear from fantastic new authors. Join Steven Schneider as he finds and talks to authors you may not know, but authors that have worked hard to write great new books. Hear about their book and why you should check it out. So sit back and listen to today's Discovered Wordsmith. Uh, let's get into the new year. It's January, a whole brand new year of writing and, you know, lots of people get into the mindset of fresh start and all that. So what is going on in the author publishing world that you've seen that's a good thing to bring up and talk about with this whole brand new year here? I think one thing that's really good to bring up is like, don't pretend to die and as a way to boost your sales and then come back as if everything was cool with pretending to die. I, okay. I don't, know if, I, I don't know that story. I haven't know heard about that this? one. Yeah. I, uh, an author, a romance novelist pretended to die two years ago. Even, you know, I mean, she, even the worst thing is she pretended to have committed suicide, which was super dark. Right. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And then like two years later, she's like, hey, surprise, I'm back. I didn't really guy. Maybe she's a vampire. (laughs) Maybe, maybe. But like, you know, like she, you know, her her family or her pretending to be her family continued to get her Facebook group going throughout the last two years as if, you know, there's even like heartfelt messages from her sister. Sometimes I just call her cell phone just to hear her voice because I know I'll never hear it again. Now that's really going over the top. And yeah. that probably hurt more than helped her i'm sure yeah so like it um at first it was just a bunch of authors talking on twitter about it and then um the usa today picked it up and then all these other big news outlets picked it up so i'm guessing their you know money was raised to um oh man on her behalf you know (laughs) some there could be some legal ramifications here yeah not to mention bad a lot of bad will this is what a horrible thing to do yeah yeah the old adage any publicity is good publicity doesn't work unless you're a grungy rock and roll band you know (laughs) no that's true so uh, that reminds me of another story i heard uh just a while back that some i think it was a romance author in um england won some big writing award and when they you know, had the award ceremony turned out it wasn't a 30 year old female, like the bio and stuff said it was like two 60 year old guys who had collaborated to write these romance with the specific purpose of winning awards and being big. And it like, people were like offended and shocked and stuff. And it, you know, it's like, well, people have been writing under a pseudonym for a long time, but to go that extra step and create the character, I think is the really persona. Well- yeah. Yeah. I think for that, I do remember that. Um, two Italian guys who right. did this. And so I think, I think the problem what, with what they did was that they pretended to be this person, even in like, not in like Zoom interviews, obviously, <laughs> but email interviews. Like, so right. the, you know, not journalists would email them questions and they would answer as if they were this 30 year old woman pretending right. to be this 30 year old woman and giving a 30 year old woman style advice, which is this totally ridiculous. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're going to have a pen name and your pen name has a persona, either make it clear that it's a persona 
right or don't do the persona like like i have a i don't know i don't know if you have a pen name i don't have a pen name at this moment but i have a lot of friends who do and they're like you can go to their primary website and you can say hey i also write as this or right. you know or i have another friend who's a, got a secret pen name but it's just like super minimal on her author page and her website. It doesn't like, it makes up a little bit of a story. Like I like it, but it's basically the stuff, the same stuff that would be about her, but she's not pretending to be Correct. something dramatically different than what she is. And she's certainly not going around giving advice. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, there, there was an author I just interviewed for the podcast. I'm not going to give out names and stuff, but the last name was extremely unique and difficult to pronounce looking at it. So I'm thinking, wow, I, I can imagine people looking for this author would have a rough time. That's the perfect reason to have a pen name, but yeah. as you, and you can have three or four pen names again, as you, I I've got two, but they're both variations of my real name. So it's not going outside the realms in the bond, you know, it, it's, yeah. it's very close, you know, um, because I, I like here I use S.A. Schneider and, you know, mm -hmm. uh, I can also use Steven Schneider or some combination with my middle name and all sorts of stuff. So it's separates them. And even if okay. I created something else, you know, M.T. Uh, Bass, <laughs> well, I can't use that. That's an actual author. I know <laughs> oh, no. J.R. Um, Diggers, you know, but it's, oh, it's he's just good. the pen name, you know, yeah, so. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So yeah. what else is going on? Um, did we talk about Brandon Sanderson last week? No, I and don't. Doesn't so, so this is, I think this is good news. This is a good news one, right? And so Brandon Sanderson, we all know that, you know, he had a couple of Kickstarters the last couple of years, done really, done really well. It's traditionally been a traditional published author, but he's kind of branching out via kickstarter into doing some indie stuff right like some like we can do maybe maybe not 41 million dollars like we could <laughs> right. do, you know but for but you know the possibility do, we, exists but it's probably not the reality yes but we could all do a kickstarter at one level or another and probably be somewhat successful with it um but one of the things that he did was he decided he was going to he learned that audible has not been treating authors well Right. Both. Um, I don't know how much in depth he didn't talk about the returns or anything like that or the non-payment or anything like that. But he just talked about the very, very low percentage that Audible pays authors and royalties for their books. Um, how how super low it is compared to other digital products. And that was for being exclusive to them. Right. And then he said, and it's even worse. So it's, if, if you're not aware, if you don't have an audiobook, you're not in there. If you're on Audible, you get 40% if you're exclusive. If you agree to be Audible exclusive, right? you get 40%. And now that's 40% of the what it's sold for minus all of the fees and things like that. So it's not just, you know, if your book sells, if your book's $20, you don't just get $8, right? It's going to be, you know, minus the fees, which is like 40, you know, I go, you know, it gets down to, it's going to be like two or three bucks. Right? right. And if you're not exclusive, meaning you can go through, use like a distributor, like find away voices, you can be on, um, you know, Barnes and Noble, um, audiobook platforms, all the different audio, um, um whatever they, um, Kobo, and, right? yeah, yeah. Kobo, Kobo, which is my favorite one to, to get my audiobooks from. 
they uh, Audible will then only pay you 25% for books sold on right through Audible or on Amazon, which is which is very low. So he decided that he was going to take a stand and say, I'm not going to put my books on Audible at all. These new books, like he came out with these new books for his last Kickstarter audiobooks for them and he promised them to his readers and or listeners in this case right and they he said i'm not going to do audible i'm going to give you the books through other ways but they're not going to be on audible because i want to send a message to amazon that they can't treat authors that way he goes and unless people with my level i'm putting words in his mouth but he said basically said with most people who have my kind of platform start to talk about this stuff, nothing will change. He's nothing right. Will change. Yeah. Yeah. So I really appreciate that. I don't know that it's going to have like the effect that I hope it has, but it's a, the first step. Uh, I was going to say, it's like a snowball, right? You got to have somebody like that. That's can really get the notice and make the difference. So then people start paying attention. You know, it's that old adage, you know, how many uh, orange Fords are there on the road? Well, not many. Well, now I'm finding orange Fords all over the place because you're paying attention to it. <laughs> mm -hmm. You yeah. know, same here. If someone big like that gets the word out, people start thinking about it, paying attention. And there's a lot of people out there that are like, well, that's not right. I, I want to support these authors because I want them to write more stuff I enjoy. And he's a big enough name that it, makes a difference. Uh, so, yeah. I, I mean, we've talked about Brandon Sanderson and other things before. So, yeah, you know, there, there's a man to, to kind of admire, honor, go buy some of his books. You know, even if you give him some of his a present, support the guy. I know he doesn't need the support as much, but he's doing things for others. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, it's like big name authors, no other big name authors and other big name authors listen to what other big name authors do and watch and listen. You know, it's like we saw Stephen King stand up for authors during the Simon and Schuster Penguin Random House yep. trial. Right. Yep. So that was, a, you know, that's a first step. You know, like you see somebody like that do it and other authors can become braver in right. the process. Right. Yep. You see Brandon Sanderson do this. You know, maybe um, like maybe Nora Roberts will like go, you know what? I could do a Kickstarter too. And I could also not put my books on Amazon. Right. right. And then people are going to say, wow, that's uh, I, Amazon's going to say, I really want those. And then it just, the more people who have books, it's not the fact that they're not on Amazon. That's the problem because that's a drop in the bucket. Right. right. The pro the thing is that, and they're not on Amazon, super fans of Nora Roberts or Brandon Sanderson, Stephen King, Neil Gaiman will go other places to get those books. Like regular people might not, right? Like not super fans might not, but the super fans will. And that's going to start driving the process, you know, getting, if you can get, we were talking on a different, um, on another, on a news podcast recently about this and the hardest thing, the hardest part for a service to, to get is the first customer, not the first customer, but the first purchase from a customer, like I knew about Kobo audiobooks for a long time, but even the first time you do it, you have to sign up. You got to put in your credit card. You got to do all these things. You have to mentally work through like, what is the process going to be for me to do for me to get my audiobooks from the future in the future. But as soon as I did that first one, as soon as I learned the app, and as soon as I learned how to search properly in Kobo, I'm like, oh, now I can get all of my book, my audiobooks from Kobo. And now it's a no brainer. Now I don't have a problem. So getting somebody to get to buy that first thing from another platform 
is is huge and that's what brandon sanderson is going to be doing for for a lot of people and i love that uh i you know this is a great opportunity for like find a way and book funnel for their audiobook services to uh, hey yeah. you you heard about this take a look at what we got and i did also hear recently that google now is putting uh audio with ai that you can choose ai voices and have like multicast performances uh of mm. your book and i think it was on one of joanna's podcasts uh i haven't looked into it myself have you heard about that yet i'd heard about the rumor of the multicast ones i don't i don't know i haven't tried it my books the published books i mean i'm writing urban fantasy but i don't have them published yet so like my books are nonfiction. And like, I'm the cast member, you know, it's just me. I did use, I did test it, Google's. So I have one book on Google Play, you know, because most of my books have charts and graphics and exercises. <laughs> and it's like, they're not very good for uh, for an audiobook. But I have one that's just called The Real Food Reset. And it's just, a, and it's a, and it's a book about how to, you know, eat better and things like that. And it, and it, and I think it did pretty well. Like I'm not, I didn't have it in me to do the recording. And so I, as a test, I tried it. it, took about an hour to get it done, to go through it. And it works pretty well. Um, it's definitely not as good as a, as a real narrator would do. But, you know, there's that uh, thing, though, some things, possibly nonfiction might be the thing that where's the point where it matters to readers? You know, if the audio quality is a little bit less, but they enjoy the story or they enjoy the book, does it matter to them? And at what point? Does it say, okay, now this sounds horrible. I don't want to listen to it. You know, so I guess this is where it's starting to kind of come around. If somebody says, wow, I can get that audio book. It's a little bit cheaper, but it's a robot voice or something. That's what I want to do. Or, you know, whatever mm -hmm. the reasoning is. I I would yeah. love to test it because I'm also a tech guy. So I get kind of torn. I want to support audio uh, narrators but I also like the tech aspect of it and be able to talk about yeah. tech and all that. Yeah. I think there's a, there could be a market for, for, to have both. Like when, for, as an example, I wanted to get a Neil Gaiman book the other day and I went on Kobo and searched it and there's three different versions of the book. One, right. it's a much older version. Then there's a newer version that has a full cast, right? So like three or four people doing it. And then another version came out at the same time, which was just traditionally narrated by a professional one professional narrator. And so there are a, there's a market for different. I chose I prefer just the one narrator. I don't want like the full cast ones. Right. So I chose that. Um, but similarly, I got a Neil Gaiman book last year before Sandman came out on Netflix. And there were two different versions of that, too. There was a full cast and crew kind of a version. And then there was one that was just traditionally narrated. And um, I got that one. I got the, the full cast one to see what the, to see what that experience was like. And it was right. it was still pretty good. Um, but so I can definitely see like a, especially for nonfiction, like having a cheaper version for people who just want to get the data. I mean, they're not. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And and you know the difference between uh, someone like me, maybe have a three or four book series to put all of those into audio is going to be a huge expenditure that I may not even cover with sales uh, for a, quite a while. So it, it doesn't even exist. But if I could put them in this Google AI and get all four books out, and if it's almost like a Kickstarter. If people are interested and get the book to listen to it, well, now I do have the money. I can hire a narrator. You know, there's that possibility yeah. too if I 
don't like necessarily the AI, but it's a good way to get it going. Proof of concept almost. Yeah. And what Joanna also talked about licensing her voice. Yes. Right? And so that's another way. So she narrates her own audio, her own audiobooks, or at least her own nonfiction, right? But she's also talked about licensing her voice. And some of some of the audiobook narrators I know have have very distinctive voices, and they've decided that they've licensed their voice. So if you know Apple just started doing AI narration. Google Plus, there's a couple of companies that do AI narration that are um, in theory on a more professional, like maybe one step above the free ones that you get. And you can choose real voices that have been digitized and uh, using AI. So, yeah. And I know James Earl Jones just signed over the rights for Disney Lucasfilm to use his voice for any future Darth Vader. So yeah. we could have 20, 30 more years of James Earl Jones as Darth Vader. Here was, I, I was talking to a friend about this with the deep fakes and the AI. One of the things I heard about with the deep fake AI voices is a good application of it is when you get a film that's foreign to your country, whether it's, you know, getting we get something from China or Thailand or they get something from English that they may overdub it, but the lips always don't match. But using deep fake technology, they can make the lips match what oh, the wow. AI is using with these voices. And you can use the real actor voices uh, to do the overdub because it's AI and then get the deep fake to make the lips oh, match. Interesting. I'm like, now, see, that's a useful application. And I said, what we really could get now is we could get the fourth and fifth year of the enterprise with the actors and their voices, you know, get the get the deep fake and the AI going to do some more original Star Trek, but without new people. I'm like, is, is that good or bad? That's a, that's a tough uh, thing to think about really. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. There was the, the you know, using Peter Cushing's image in Star Wars. Again, Rogue One. Was it Ro Ro Rogue One, right? So there's yeah. some controversy, controversy there as was Carrie, the young Carrie Fisher at, right. the, at the end of the movie, right? Yeah, and then Luke I, in the they, Mandalorian and stuff. Yeah, and so far they all look pretty bad to me, but... I watched Rogue One the other night, and I thought Tarkin looked better than I remembered. Uh, so, you know, maybe I'm just getting used to seeing this more. <laughs> he just uh, looked too floaty to me, like, he right. was, you know, right? But Carrie Fisher, Princess Leia, looked really really just looked awkward and tacked on yeah know, it looked it was just really stood out but that was like six seven years ago already so the yeah. technology has advanced since then so who yeah, knows to what the, to the luke level in the mandalorian which is you know i would have preferred that they got a new actor to have played luke but i was rooting for sebastian stan that's you know, what a lot like, of people were, rumor. yeah. And I'm and like like I don't care that he doesn't look exactly the person. Like I think that would have been great to have somebody of that caliber in there <laughs> being a real actor. And then you could actually make like whole new adventures with you know, without being all CGI, you know? Yes. And, you know, it's it's a little bit of a personal thing and, you know, a lot of it's probably what the actors feel, but really when they sign up for that, they're signing over basically all rights and the, the company can go, yeah, we're getting a new actor. We're doing CGI. We're using your likeness. Uh, yeah. Too bad. Maybe they get royalties, but they don't 
necessarily have the choice, you know, at least with our books and stuff. But but that'd be cool too, is to be able to use the the AI, the deep fakes and the voices and stuff that like for my books, middle grade, I could create a cartoon Mm -hmm. and have a cartoon created, which is very, very cost prohibitive to do something like that. But if I could do it in my budget, I think that'd be awesome to be able to release that for my readers. Um, So it's like any technology there's evil and bad. It's how it's used. (laughs) Well, there's such a gradation too. So like, you know, you look at the, the CGI that they do for like Toy Story or A Bug's Life or any of these, you know, Pixar movies, right? So, I mean, somebody came up with that stuff and that's like, so they're not real, right? right. And it's and it's also not, and even like the animated stuff that Disney does, like no one's there with like a pen and a pencil anymore. It's all, right. you know, so like there's, there's that extreme all the way to like, you just tell an AI what to do. So like, you know, somewhere, I mean, this stuff are going to get easier to use as... Uh, as they get better and more powerful. We, we definitely live in interesting times. And I think that's been said through yeah. all ages. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, Roland, uh, anything else before we sign out for today and see what brings up in the future? I think that's it. We've talked about some stuff you shouldn't do, some good <laughs> news and some stuff that make you think. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, sir, I appreciate it. It's good to see your face this new year and talk to you again. So I will be in touch in a couple weeks and we'll get back on. Great. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year, Steve. You too. Happy New Year. Okay. So let's do a little author talk. And I got to ask you about your wide to Kindle Unlimited here in a minute. Let me ask you this, though. You're on your fourth book. What have you learned that you're doing different now than what you did at the beginning? The very first thing I learned was that no, you, if you, for me, it doesn't work for everybody. For me, I never write anything if I don't actually sit down and write. Okay, so when I first thought maybe I'd write, I thought to myself, okay, what will I write about? What will I decide? I decided I'm going to write a book. What would be about? And absolutely nothing came into my head. And this had been going around in my head for weeks. And then I heard Maeve Binchy. Do you know Maeve Binchy? Yeah, I heard Maeve Binchy interviewed, and she said I'd never write anything if I didn't sit down on my desk and write from nine to five every day. I've never done nine to five. My, my stamina isn't that strong. But then I sat down and I started, I sat down and started writing. And I was amazed to discover that like words just came to me. <laughs> yes. And that I totally agree with you. So I know a lot of people talk about writer's block and you mentioned earlier about getting ideas. My, I love when people say, where do you get your ideas? It's like, where don't I get my ideas? I'm driving down the road and I get three ideas. I'm sitting here writing this book. And I get an idea for this other book. It just, once you start that creative juices going, it seems to not stop. I'm working on a Christmas story for my kids. And I've been doing that almost every year. And it's, I was like, okay, it's going to be like all the others. Oh, it's going to be a short little story. And now we're up to 7,000 words and it's still going. So I agree. It just kind of keeps going. Yeah. No, I don't get writer's block. I probably get the opposite. I write a lot of crap. (laughs) Writer's club. Maybe that's it. I write a whole load of stuff and then I go back and I think, nah, that's useless. I have to get rid of that. But I've often listened to Lee Child being interviewed. And I heard Lee Child and he said, he never deletes anything. He said, because I'm a writer, not a... And I tried that. Once he said it, I thought, yeah, I waste too much time writing stuff that I later throw away and don't use. I said, I'm going to do it this time. I'm going to have a plot. But I don't think, I think about a week later, I've written a page. That was as far as it got. I just can't work that way. I just have to keep writing and see what happens. 
Yeah, we'll talk about writing plot here in a couple minutes, more of a discussion. But yeah, I, I know a lot of, I've, I, everybody has to come to their own way of doing it. And sometimes you have to try and experiment other ways. And mm -hmm. that's where I've got this, like I said, this Christmas story I'm working on now, without even realizing it, it started off as a an almost dialogue only story where it was very little, everything else. But the story seemed to flow really well. And now I'm adding in the other stuff. I've never wanted to write that way. It just kind of happened. I know a buddy of mine, Jay Thorne, talks about doing that all the time. He'll write the whole book as just basically dialogue and then go back and fill the rest in. And it's actually working quite well for me this time. So I'm like, okay, we'll go with it. <laughs> That's interesting because I don't generally do that. I generally tend to write page by page till I get to the end. But I had to change something and go back and add something into my most recent book. And I found it incredibly confusing. Like when I said, I kept getting mixed up as to what was happening and where I was in it and all the rest. And then when I got to the end and I sent it off to my editor and I had this big reveal and she, at the end of one chapter, she said, you said that already. I thought, oh my God, I did. <laughs> I mentioned wow. it three times earlier without meaning to. So I got a few other questions. Let's talk a little bit about our discussion on plot since we're here already. Okay. What software do you use to write? Word. You I know word. nobody does. And nobody does that, but I've used Word all my working life. I'm very comfortable with it. Actually, and I'd probably say a good 70 to 80% of the writers I talk to use Word. Do they? But Everybody here uses Scrivener. I was just going to say, this isn't a dig or anything to anybody. Most of the authors I talk to are newer. Having four books puts you at the higher end of professionalism for my podcast. No dig against anybody. It's just the focus is new authors, unknown authors, people you haven't heard of. Uh, but that's not to say that more professional authors use other stuff. I personally like Scrivener because of exactly what you were just saying. I just, I'm a database programmer by trade. Um. So very analytical type thing. And I realized with Word that it's all one big, long thing. And oh, wait, if I want to change or move something, it's just cumbersome. Whereas Scrivener, I kind of put things on a cork board with little synopsis and I can move them around. And then I go into it and I write the details. So we were going to talk about plot and that kind of fits right in. I don't do a big outline I generally have a, an idea of the plot. How do you handle plot? I did look at Scrivener when I started. I got the free version and I looked at it and I thought, by the time I've learned that, I'll have written the whole book. I'm not, and also because I don't plot, I, I don't think I need it. The odd time, I think it will be handy because I wouldn't make the mistake I made there in that book. But generally speaking, I feel I don't plot. And, if you do, and I think Scrivener sounds like it's perfect for plotters, but I'm not a plotter. My book generally starts and goes straight to the end. So I find word is fine. But no, I don't plan. Usually when I start a book, I know who the murderer is. I know who the victim is. Most of the time I know why they did it. I didn't actually in one book. But most of the time I know why they did it. But that's it. Then I just start writing. So what I do is I start writing it. And when I start to write it, I see it in my head. Like I'm watching a movie. So okay. then, yeah. So then characters just start doing things and I write them. I think. I, I'm, the Christmas story I'm working on, one of the reasons I think the dialogue type of beginning and why it's flowing so easily is because 
I have all the characters in my head pictured very well, and they're all distinct. And I, I have a firm grasp. It's almost like they really exist. And I'm just kind of sketching what they're actually saying and doing. It's played out in your head. And I, again, I don't, I know JD Barker talks all the time working with Patterson about intricate plot details, outlines where each chapter is here's all the things going on in the chapter outlined out. And then here's the sub things and everything is 50 pages of outline to, for, before you even write the book. I, I'm like more away from that. I get an idea and I even using Scrivener, I'll say, here's a scene, here's a scene, here's a scene. And then I fill it all in and it expands and it changes and that. So I, like we said earlier, I think authors really need to try these and figure out what works best for them, not just, oh, that's how it does it. So that's how I'm going to do it, even if it's not best for them. Exactly. And when I started, I got really caught up in this whole plot thing. People say you have to have an idea where you have your peaks and your tingles. What do you call those things? I can't think of the word for them. They, you're supposed to write to this the words gone. Like the three act structure with exactly. uh, the rising action and Exactly. I worried myself sick about that because I couldn't figure out, like, how the hell did I do this? And then I wrote when I'd written my book and I sent it off to my developmental editor. And she said to me, because I give up, I just thought I'm not even worrying about that. So I sent it off to her and she said to me, now you've got a, quite a good grasp of structure. And I said, I have absolutely no grasp of structure. I don't understand it at all. And she said, for some people, it comes naturally because they've picked it up from reading. I, I was going to ask you that. Do you mostly or have you mostly psychological thrillers throughout your life that you, it's just like part of you now? I've read throughout my life, but I haven't always read psychological thrillers. I'd say I, I was like 30, I think. I read my very first Agatha Christie when I was a teenager. But like reading lots of them, I don't think I started doing that till I was nearly 30. Okay. All right. And maybe this is why I don't write in that genre, because honestly, I cannot get into Agatha Christie. I've read a couple of stories and I'm like, okay, I've read enough. I, I read the big popular ones and I'm like, yeah, I just, she doesn't throw me. I mean, when I was a kid, different things throw you. And I actually wrote an article about that recently, about the very first Agatha Christie book I ever read. And it was called... Let me see if I had the article now, I'd be able to remember its name. The Man in the Brown Suit. That was it. Okay. So I've been going through my tortured romantic phase at that stage. And I went into my grandmother's house one day and she found these books at the end of the back of the cupboard and she gave them to me. And one of them was this. And there was it was written in 1927. So it was like it was not a modern book, but it was about this girl whose father dies and she's left on her own at a time when women weren't really supposed to be doing much on their own. And she decides she's gone off to South Africa. And I just thought it was such a lovely book. It was a bit of a romance that she got to do all these amazing things as opposed to the women I've been reading about who spend most of the time dying in factories and waiting for men to come and save them before they drop dead of starvation. And I just thought it was like a breath of fresh air. Nice. Yeah, I think the books and authors we read when we're younger make the impact and the imprint on us. And a lot of what we do later stays close to that. I still pick up Stephen King and will read him. And even if I have a book I've read, sometimes it's like, man, I really feel like reading that again. I think it's the same way. But I will say, I read Murder on the Orient Express and I went, oh, now I see where the 500 derivative movies and books that use this <laughs> similar plot came from. She came up with this. Yeah, first. I, 
she was the first one to do that. So that was very unique at the time. Yeah, I agree. So I'm like, okay, yeah, if nothing else, I can say, yes, I have read Agatha Christie. So, you know, I'm not missing <laughs> one of the classic authors. <laughs> Well, you do better than me. I haven't read Stephen King. I have seen his movies, but I've never read him. Oh, there aren't too many movies that are that good with his stuff. I appreciate some of them at some level, but a lot of his books, one of my favorite, top three favorite books of all time is The Shining. I've probably really, read I've it. seen the movie, never read the book. Oh, yeah. the, I do not like the Kubrick movie that way, even though everybody loves it. it there's actually a TV miniseries that was on in the early 90s based on The Shining. And I thought it was much more accurate to the book and a better uh, movie watching experience than the Kubrick movie. So mm. each of their own. Yeah, maybe someday I'll read it, but I'm not really a horror person, to be honest. I don't like gore. It gets to well, me. Well, a lot of his more modern books aren't even really horror. They they just touch upon a little supernatural, maybe. <laughs> it's the early ones that have the best horror in it. Yeah, yeah. Um, Carrie was his. Do what? Sorry? Was Carrie not his? Yes, that was his first one. I remember. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that one I didn't care for a whole lot. It was a shorter, thinner story, but uh, Salem's Lot, The Shining... Dead Zone, Cujo, Misery, those were all... Oh, I saw Misery. I saw the movie Misery. That's one of the good movies. So uh, <laughs> I like that one. Kathy Bates is wonderful in it. So is Steve Kahn or James Kahn. Sorry. Okay. Besides BookBub, how are you marketing your books? Oh, apart from BookBub, I don't really do all that much. I do different things. I started off doing Facebook ads, but what I found was I got sales from Facebook ads, but they cost me about as much as I was spending and things, so I dropped them. I do Amazon, but I don't find it very successful. What I do is I put my book in, it's late here, my brain isn't working properly. What do you call those things where you reduce your book to 99 cents? Oh, like some sale, some... You no, know, like the big sale. ones, free books, see, those oh, kind of... Oh, okay, yeah. No, I do those about... I do one of my books there about a week before my new book comes out. And then I do my new book. And then after my new book comes out about three months later, I apply for a good BookBub deal. And so far, that's worked for me. If BookBub ever stopped working for me, I'm going to have to go up with a different model. <laughs> one of the things I wanted to ask you about, you mentioned on the last half, was you go wide... And then you essentially pull it down and just put it in Kindle Unlimited. Um, whereas a lot of times I hear authors saying they go in Kindle Unlimited first and then they go out wide. So why why do you do it the way you do do it? Because I want to do BookBub. So if you do BookBub, won't really consider your book if it's in Kindle Unlimited. I, they do some big people, but it would be very difficult to get your, to get a feature deal if your book was in Kindle Unlimited. So I figure by not having it in Kindle Unlimited and not having had any big sales in it before, that means it does better when it goes on a BookBub deal. Okay. Again, everything I do is built around this <laughs> feature deal, which I may not even get. Okay. And- so how long do you leave them? Like I assume Apple and Google and Kobo or maybe wherever else, how long do you leave them there? And do you see, do you have good sales and then you see it decline? Is that when you pull it out or how, how's that work? 
I don't find that I have that great sales there. I do well when I do the BookBub deal. But apart from that, I don't find it does very well. I just want them there. So that if anything ever happens, like they're all up. And if anything ever happens to Amazon, like they decide to close down my account or something, it would only take me a second to get them all live again somewhere else. But I leave them there for the year because that's like I do promise. Even when I do promos, I think promos work better if you have more places that you can sell your book. So I leave them there for the promos and then I'll do a promo, say a week before my new book comes out. And then when my promo is done, I, I put it back into Kindle Unlimited and I have my new book white. Okay. Interesting. That's definitely good to hear that you're having success doing it a little different than a lot of other people do it. So for all the authors listening, like we said, with plotting and writing and so- software, Sometimes you got to find what works best for you and know why you're doing things instead of just that's all does it. Yeah, people have told me it's not a very bright way to do it. They say you're relying on a booked up deal you might never get, which is true. But so far, I've been lucky. So for me, it works at the moment. It may stop working. Do you find you've got people that have read your first couple books and now they want the next one? So you're getting people ordering it because they've read it, they know it. And it's building up through all of the, these couple. I have, a long, I have people on Instagram who have followed me and read all of my books, like from the beginning. So I have some people like that who are very good. Like they, they'd be saying, like I send out my newsletter and they say, oh, I'm so looking forward to your new book. <laughs> nice. Okay. All right. So let me ask you, Val, before we close things up, if a new author comes up to you and asks, do you have any advice? I'm just starting out. What would you tell them? Don't have very high expectations. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> have patience. It takes a long time. Okay. Great. Mm-hmm. And let me let me ask another question before we get going. You write the psychological thrillers. Have you thought of trying any other genre, or you just want to keep going with what you have? As I said, I'm going to write. I'm going to write a time traveler thriller, which is slightly different. Slight, some yeah. stage. I always thought what I'd love to do, but I don't think I'll ever do it because I don't think I have the time. But I always thought what I'd love to do is re- write a version of Pride and Prejudice from somebody else's point of view. I've always loved Pride and Prejudice. It's one of my favorite books. <laughs> so I was that I'd like to do that from the point of view of one of the minor characters. But that would be an awful lot of work because I'd have to figure out how people lived then, how people wrote, spoke then it would take probably too much work. That, yeah, that does sound like it would be some work. But if you love it, it does make I do. It I absolutely adore that book. Yeah. Okay. I'll put some links on that as one of your favorite books. <laughs> Great. But it's very different from what I write. <laughs> Yeah, I my what I my reading is way different from what I write. So all right, well, I appreciate you getting on chatting with me today. I'm glad we got our tech problems worked out so we can get oh, on. Yeah. Thank you, Stephen. I really appreciate that because I was having nightmares about that tech. <laughs> oh no, we got you covered. You're good. It's all good. I wish you luck and I appreciate you taking some time. Thank you. Thank you for talking to me and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you too, even though the episode probably won't come out till after Christmas, but. Okay, well then Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Yeah, so I was just going to add that. Yeah, Happy New Year. Happy Valentine's Day. It'll be before Valentine's Day, so. Have a good summer, yeah. Yeah, All right, thanks Val. Okay, take care, Stephen. Bye. Bye. Hi, if you enjoyed this episode of Discovered Wordsmiths, please support the author. Go to their website, go to Amazon, look them up, get the book. And if you click on the link that I have in the show notes, you'll also help support the podcast so I can keep the hosting and all the software I use and 
uh, keep it running for to help more authors. When I am recording this, we've got over 100 episodes, lots of authors. Go to the website, discoveredwordsmiths.com. Check it out. There's a lot of great authors, probably in some genre that you love. See what they have. Check out their books. That's what the point of the podcast is for. So people can discover new authors, find some new books they love, support the authors so they can continue writing. So please support them. And if you do like the podcast, if you've been thinking of podcasting or you're a writer, I've got some links also at the website. Click on those if you're interested in any of the software or services that I talk about. Everything that I have there is something I use. So I've got an affiliate link. Again, it's a little bit, if everyone clicked on those, if they were going to get it anyway, it helps keep the podcast going. So let's all help each other out, discover more authors to read. Thank you for listening to Discovered Wordsmiths. Come back next week and listen to another author discuss the road they've traveled and maybe sometime in the near future, it might be you. 